There was a massive trade Saturday in the NBA. Jimmy Butler's now in Chicago, not happy. Goes to Minnesota, not happy. Now goes to Philadelphia. And my takeaway is, listen, man, I understand moving around in the NBA. Jimmy Butler's now on his third team in a very short time. Okay. Jimmy Butler makes the Philadelphia 76ers what? The third best team in the Eastern Conference? Third? I expected that to happen. And obviously, Minnesota had a tough road trip. I watched their entire game last night, and um, I guess it wasn't totally surprised uh, this morning that it went down. I'm ready to get started. Uh, we got a little ways to go. We got some things to figure out. But all in all, man, I, I look forward to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Butler of Philadelphia 76. This is what I'm talking about right here. See, this is why I love the NBA so much. This is what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. We've been talking about Boston. We've been talking about Toronto. We've been talking about Milwaukee. But now it's about the Philadelphia 76ers. They got a dog in the city of brotherly love. You're talking about Joel Embiid. You wanted to be league MVP. There's no excuse now. There's nothing standing in your way. Ben Simmons, you're a jump shot away from being a champion because you, with Embiid, with Butler, can make that kind of noise. Either way you slice it, I love what I'm seeing. I love what's going on right now. The great freaking Milwaukee. We'll see. We'll see Toronto with Kawhi Leonard. We'll see. We'll see the Boston Celtics with the crew. Tatum, Jalen Brown. Kyrie Irving, the whole bit, it doesn't matter anymore. This is what it's all about. This is basketball, baby. Jimmy Butler. That's basketball, baby. And this is Free Association on Sportsnet.ca. I'm J.D. Bunkus. He's Donovan Bennett. People say I have a lot of energy, and people give me the question. I feel like you don't get the same question. You seem a lot more reserved than I am about how I can have so much energy all the time. And I look at Stephen A. Smith, and that's the person I think of the most when I, I just can't comprehend how one person has so much energy all the time. Evidently, he's like that. Yeah. He's actually like that for real. Like He'll be asked to do something for ESPN's like social media, and he'll be screaming the same way he does on first take, the same way he does evidently for his own social media. Because that was him in his gym wearing a Nike No Pain workout t-shirt. You know you're going to get a good soundbite from Stephen A. Smith. You know that's going to happen. Even if you disagree with it, he can deliver a message. And we were watching that video before we came in here today, and our producer, Emil Delich, pointed it out very astutely, which is he never stumbles. He's one take. You put him on camera, and he crushes it. There's no uh or er or screwing around or stumbling. It's just right to the point. But, and here's the other point. But it's he so has good. like seven takes that he just changes the names on for sure and he knows yes. basically the starters on every team yeah. like oh I dan Levertard pointed this out years ago and i never realized it and now it's all i can think about especially when it goes to college sports where uh-huh. he knows like three guys on every team he will say rj barrett zion williamson and them boys like he doesn't yeah. know who else is on the team yeah so he just says the big names and then says, and them boys. Well, do you follow that? Nick Saban and his wrecking crew, you know what they're about in Bama? Well, no, you don't know yeah. what they're about. Yeah. Because you can't tell me who <laughs> their left tackle is. Man, there's a value to that, though, that people still care what you think, even though we all know that a lot of it is a bit of a act. Like, do you ever see the Funhouse Twitter account with Mike Francesa? They follow Mike Francesa's takes? No. Uh, he's the same thing where he's been doing this for so long that he takes phone calls from people. And even if he doesn't know who the player is or where, like what he's done, he'll still have an opinion on them, but he just goes to his recycled version of takes about a guy who he thinks would be in that situation. It's amazing. You should definitely follow that. Chris in Huntington. What's up, Chris? Hey Mike, how are you? What's happening? 
why do you think they nobody picked up Des Bryant before the trade deadline? Because he's a jerk. I mean, it's it's a sad sign that. But a reminder that sometimes it's better to be interesting than it is to be knowledgeable. Uh, yeah. If 2018 has taught us anything, that that's probably the truth. So you were just at Creed two. You got an exclusive screening. Yeah, Did they, I can't. I can't talk about it. Don't you don't have to talk about it. You can't say if it was good or not. I can't say anything. Wow. You I, said, I, I literally signed a disclosure, a waiver that there's legal action that can be taken <laughs> if I speak about it before the film. Comes the out. fact that you were there, were you not allowed to say you were there? I mean, it's too late now. Yeah, you've it's already too said late. It. You were there. Oh wow. Maybe there's a breach of confidentiality here. Listen, if you get sued by the Creed people, by Michael w- B. Jordan comes after the you. Creed people. You mean Warner Brothers? <laughs> yeah. Warner Brothers. <laughs> you mean the biggest film studio in the world? <laughs> Are they the biggest? Uh, I would venture they, to say they so, got to be up there. I haven't run the analytics. You I don't know what Warner Brothers' true shooting percentage as far as Hollywood films right now. You told me something interesting though that you need to eat while you watch a movie, or else you fall asleep. I know you don't think I know what you're doing. What you're trying to talk about anything other than basketball? No, because I don't want to talk about no people want to know about other you. Than basketball. People want to know about you. You're so you fall asleep. Get in there. Yeah, my wife hates me for it because I fall but at asleep. Nighttime, you do that. But no, during anytime. the day, the worst is in the summer when it's hot outside. You walk to the theater, then the theater's super cold and dark. Yeah, I fall asleep. I can't make it through a movie without falling asleep unless that I'm eating incredible. something. Popcorn, Reese's Pieces. Vitamin water. I need something to keep me. <laughs> vitamin water. You're yeah. bougie in the movie theater. Like that's. I, I just wow. get a large soda. Do you know how much they charge? Probably nine dollars for it's one of those. Way too expensive. That's why you sneak in your own. Yeah. Okay. But even still, I do find that hilarious. Like, okay, note to self: maybe don't send you to be the movie review guy unless they're like, what if there was no food? You were just gonna be like, hey, Donovan, how was Creed? You're like, oh, uh, it was good. Uh, it was really good. Well, uh, lots of boxing, I would say. Well, I can say this: <laughs> Warner Brothers does come correct because they provide you with popcorn okay. and soft drinks. That's good. Oh, that's huge. Going with, to a movie with, with chairs that uh, that lean back like Fat Joe. Man, movie theaters got to give them some credit. The new movie theaters, comfortable chairs, great sound. Do you go VIP? No. You know why? Because the little VIP ones, you're talking about the ones with like leather couches and the smaller screen, but they'll come and serve you alcohol or whatever. Yeah, VIP. It feels like you're just in a rich guy's house. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm way more cognizant of the people around me and I don't get into the movie theater mode as much. I got to be in the big theater with the big screen, even if it's no booze in there. I can watch a movie without alcohol. Like, I don't need that. Okay. Do you like the VIP? I've only done it once or twice. I think if you're going to do it, you have to make it the full experience. You got to go. You have have to have a meal to have start drinking and then drink throughout the movie. Like just to go watch a movie and then leave. Well, you should have just found a time at the normal time with the regular people and then paid like seven bucks less. But if you're actually going, starting a meal at the bar, talking to the bartender, making it like a, a night out, then yeah. yeah, I guess it makes sense. Okay, yeah, just to me, it feels weird. Like, I feel like some rich guy is going to come in and say, how did everyone enjoy the film? And I was, uh, it was great. We just saw the Hunger Games. <laughs> so I don't really have too big of an opinion on it. So there was an NBA trade over the weekend. A blockbuster trade. One that I guess you could have predicted if you looked at the NBA landscape of who should be in on Jimmy Butler, kind of made sense for a Sixers team that struck out in free agency to go after this player, especially considering the assets they gave up. But I still was a little surprised by it. And my initial reaction changed pretty drastically from where I'm at today. So, Well, who uh, won the trade? Clearly, the Philadelphia 76ers won the trade. Because anytime you acquire the best player, that's always my philosophy with, with trades. But 
Minnesota didn't do as terribly as I thought they did because my initial idea was that they should have taken that Rockets offer of four first round picks. So for those of you that don't know, the Philadelphia 76ers dealt away Dario Saric, Robert Covington, and Jared Bayless and a second round pick and took back Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton, the disappointing center out of Creighton that's never played a game, if I recall correctly. A big man with some lower body injuries, and I I don't even know if he's ever going to play in the NBA again. But obviously, this is really just Jimmy Butler for Robert Covington and Dario Saric. And my initial reaction was very much, like I said, they should have taken the four first-round picks. But it's And it's never good for an organization when you have potentially a lame duck general manager like Tom Thibodeau, who's not looking out for the long-term look of the franchise, which is what you would do with four first round picks, especially considering how Houston looks this season, which is a little bit derailed and not as much of a lock to be a perennial contender over the next four seasons as they did coming into this one, but that you have to make moves to win now. And that's how management groups screw up. But the more I looked at the fit, I kind of like it for Minnesota because You put Robert Covington, a good 3 and D guy, around Butler and Towns. You give them back the car keys to the team, most specifically Towns, because I think at this point we should realize Andrew Wiggins is what he is. And that Saric is a pretty malleable forward who's got a little bit of playmaking, and maybe this opens up a little bit more creative freedom for him as well in some offensive sets. And that if you look at the Wolves now as a a lineup of Jeff Teague or Derrick Rose with Andrew Wiggins, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and Carl Anthony Towns, that... That, to me, is a team that can still make the playoffs in the West. And especially since there doesn't seem to be really any clarity as to who the fourth or fifth best team in the Western Conference is going to be this season. He said a lot there. Well, do you like it for Follow the T-Wolves? Mm, yes and no. I mean, it's it's okay. You, you mentioned the starting lineup, and it can still compete in the West. But you also have to look at it relative to what they could have got from Miami, which I think would have been the best That's destination. Tough, yeah for Jimmy Butler and what they could have got for the Rockets. And everyone's like, Oh, you know, the Rockets, those, those picks will be at the back end of the first round. I mean, the first couple will be, but especially if those picks are spaced out, if Mm -hmm. they're not in back to back years, I don't know how good this Rockets team is going to be in five, six, seven, eight years. I always want those future firsts that go beyond the core you have. So those are assets. But besides all that, I mean, and I still think if things got difficult for the Rockets, eventually they may have, said, all right, fine, take Gordon. Like, fine, just take Gordon. We need to do something. Because we're Gordon's not... playing terribly so far this season. He's still yep. a good player, and I would say he's better than anyone they got back from For sure Philly. he is. For sure he is. And the Rockets at some point, with Daryl Morey believing in his, uh, in his risk profile needing to be higher to compete with the Warriors, I'm like, yeah, Gordon's a good player, but guess what? If Eric Gordon's your third best player, you know who you're not beating? The Warriors. Mm-hmm. So, sure, keep them. But so what? You might beat them with Jimmy Butler as your third best player. So I like it in isolation, but it's not like I can forget all the other options that they had That's that true. they didn't use, that they just threw away two weeks of the season and, and lost and had a Jimmy Butler on their team disgruntled or out with general soreness. So I like it, but I don't like it. Here's the thing. I remember an NBA executive told me this when he was talking about, well, what's the difference between, you know, these hybrid presidents that are virtually their GMs, but they're presidents, right? Like they're just getting a new title and more money. And I said, well, what's the difference? Like, is there actually a tangible difference? And he said, here's the difference. A coach's job is to think about this team winning right now. Next game, how do we win? That's what they should 
solely be focused on for the most part. A GM's job is thinking about, okay, long-term future. What's my cap look like? What do my picks look like? Am I making sure that I'm not just putting everything in the basket of this year? I'm balancing out. So we have sustained success. When you get to the president and owner level, the job becomes, can I go to league meetings and not be embarrassed about my team? Can I have a team that is trending upwards and not downwards? So it's not just about what your picks are in the future or how you're playing right now. It's are your franchise that is ascending? I say all that to say who is doing any of those things for the Timberwolves? You have Tibbs who is kind of doing the first and trying to win now, but he's asked to make a trade that is supposed to help their future. And at some point the owner is like, I'm tired of being embarrassed with my franchise when I go to league meetings. I'm going to do this deal myself. So, hey, Josh Harris, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to do this deal. Because Elton Brand doesn't even know how to make a trade call at this point. Uh, Elton Brand's doing fine, just fine right now. Again, he gets Jimmy Butler for a pretty cheap price. Again, Sarich and Covington are nice pieces, but they're just pieces. They're replaceable. You found Robert Covington in the G League and you turn him into a 3 and D guy. Like, that's found money. Brian Colangelo gave him that money, but yeah, it wasn't well, Brand. That, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if Brand is doing fine, just fine, to be honest. Okay, well, we'll talk about the Philly side of things, but Saric is $2.6 million until 2020, and Covington's just under twelve until 2022. So the contracts are pretty decent. But yeah, I just look at this and say these are gettable players. Like, you can find guys like this. You certainly don't have to pay the Jimmy Butler price. But considering Minnesota was so under the gun, and this guy was being such an ass, waving the towel on the bench against the Warriors was, to me... Like, it's one thing to be in practice and have things leak out. It's one thing to bitch to the media. When you're sitting there and actively rooting against your team on the sidelines, like, that was just such a terrible look for the Timberwolves, and they clearly had to get rid of him. And I would say this, Thibodeau is done to me because it's been pointed out many times that his defensive principle was pack the paint. He was the pack the paint guy. And now the NBA is stretch it out, shoot from three. And so you have a guy with dinosaur system that it's over for him. And... If this trade goes really poorly, like if neither of those guys work out and this Minnesota Timberwolves team doesn't win this year, I feel like Tibbs' future is even more in jeopardy because now he's going to be looked at upon a guy like, oh, you thought you could win now with this group and you didn't? Well, who's going to ever hire you for anything at this point, like other than the boys club element of, of basketball? Like, I actually think it's riskier sometimes to do the we're going to win now move because you've kind of put your own self-interest ahead of the organization. And I think that'd be, if I was an owner anyways, and I was looking at Thibodeau in the future, I'd be like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I I can't trust you if things get tough. Before we move on with Tibbs, I agree, I think he is done. But we look at Tibbs, he's a name brand, right? He was a name brand. No, but I mean, he still is. Sure, people know who he is, but now it's turning into, he's past his due date. No, no, I agree. That's my point. He is a name brand, but when you actually deconstruct him as a coach, what is he good at? You mentioned yeah, his defense was his calling. Card. His lack of defensive progression. I'll I'll use it. Not only was he known for packed pain, he was known for switch everything. The Rockets did that great, but they did that with Ariza, and he was really famous. Tibbs of doing it. The Celtics, yeah, sure. If you're switching with Rondo and Kevin Garnett or Tony Allen and Avery Bradley, yeah, but that's sure, the thing. They had everything. Towns and Wiggins, and he didn't turn either of them into a plus defensive player. Like, you got these two guys with all the athletic gifts in the world. We're a couple of years removed from saying Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis. That was a real discussion we were having two years well, ago. The GM survey, Who? what player would you want to start a team with? 
two years towns. ago. It was Towns. Right. And you turned that guy into someone who is a complete turnstile on defense. What, so, that, like, what have you done? But I, my, my thing is he actually isn't really turning anyone into anything. He's taking a principle that he had mm-hmm. and is applying it. And like, no, Tyus Jones is not Rajon Rondo. Mm-hmm. You can't have the same defense and expect the same results. That's why your defense, especially when the league has Dude, changed, preach. is terrible. He went on the sabbatical and went and learned from a bunch of other people and then came back and did what he wanted to do. The other thing that he, he hasn't progressed in, and Jimmy Butler mentioned it in his column with Sam Amick where he flamed the entire team, he's still playing his guys 41 minutes mm-hmm. a night. And, like, who is doing that now? No like, nobody. And it didn't work in Chicago. It's the reason why he didn't get along with, with guard Everyone. <laughs> because the, he just would not listen on how hard he practiced and how hard he played this guys. He's doing it again in Minnesota. And even the guys who he brought in, his Chicago 2.0 team, right? He's just bringing guys from his days with the Bulls. Like, he's got, like, five of them. The guy who he was the tightest with, Jimmy Butler was like, Hey, I can't play 41 minutes Mm -hmm. over and over again. He repeated that and to the media. Yeah. And so if your guy, the guy that you brought here, the guy that you gave up draft capital for and uh, newsflash, Laurie Markin, good player. Mm -hmm. He's hurt right now, but he's a good player. Well, and Zach Levine and Zach Levine as well. Real good player. If he is saying this doesn't make sense, then you make a trade within the year and get back way less on the dollar than what you gave up. What are you doing for me? Tibbs? Not Mm -hmm. much. So your your raspy voice is going to be back on TV soon. So I always say, the unless it's college where you can have a system, you can be Jim Beheim and be successful year over year. Just just, just recruit like six, right. seven. Go get the longest kind of guys. Zone. Yes, exactly. And play zone. You can do that if you're a college just coach. Just say, works right, and- come to play in my system. I You think you can be a fit in this system. That's all well and good. But once you reach the pros, and especially now in 2018, where coaches in all sports are sleeping in their offices and do not lead healthy lifestyles. And you have just guys who are coming in that are smarter and smarter and smarter across all sports. If you're a coach that believes you have to fit my system in the NBA and I'm not going to evolve and change myself, then you're screwed. You're not going to be a good head coach because that's not the way Greg Popovich operates. Greg Popovich isn't like, Oh, the Spurs are one thing one season and that's how they've had their success is that no Greg Popovich knows how to coach to the players that he has and has some principles, but applies them differently to different players over different eras. And that's how you become a great head coach is that you understand how to get the most out of the talent that's in front of you. And so far from Tom Thibodeau, he's gotten the worst out of the talent that's been in front of him. He's had a star player absolutely melt down and ask for his way out of town. And he's made quite frankly, a bunch of trades that haven't worked out and they've probably taken steps back. So it's a tough little period for Timberwolves fans. And you have to just hope that Carl Anthony Towns takes a step. If you are a great coach, in my opinion, Popovich is a good example of this. You can inflict your culture on a team. You shouldn't inflict your system on a team. Culture is something that it's a standard. You believe in it. It's a brand. And if you're going to be on this team, you're going to fit in with it. Systems should not because people aren't robots. They, mm-hmm. they have strengths and weaknesses. And although you can work on their weaknesses to make them strengths, you should be catering what you do to what their strengths are right now. Okay. So... We looked at Thibodeau probably a little bit more than we talked about Tibbs. But I want to talk about how this trade now affects the Toronto Raptors and the Eastern Conference. But first, just a quick reminder, SN Now. Get it. It's totally reasonably priced. You go to snnow.ca. You can get a package. If you already have cable package, you'll be able to have it and learn more about it and how to use it. But as we always say on the show, 
you get a ton of Premier League games, you get a ton of basketball games, you get a ton of hockey, you get all of the Blue Jays baseball games and a ton of Major League Baseball playoffs. There's just, there's a lot there. Obviously, Sportsnet's a big rights holder for a lot of different people. And you get this app and it avoids going through the rigmarole of trying to find these illegal streaming websites that are going to put up nasty viruses on your computer and be delayed and have bad picture and you have to close a million pop-ups. Like this is all crispy and clean and on your laptop, very user-friendly. Go to snnow.ca to learn more and get it because it's a very solid product. Pistons Celtics on Sportsnet <laughs> 1 this week. So if you want to see your former head coach and Dwayne Casey on or your tablet, a team that I still believe will, will be the toughest threat for the Raptors in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics, make sure you have your SN now. Okay, so good lead in from the commercial to talk about the pecking order of the Eastern Conference now. So... I don't think that the Celtics are the biggest risk to the Raptors right now. And yes, they could come along, and I think that they're one Who, through seven. Who's the biggest risk? I think it's the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, okay. Every okay. single night that well, I, I watch mean, the Bucks, Then just say Giannis. Dude, it is Giannis. Don't even say Dude, the Bucks. Just say Giannis. If you're not paying attention to what Giannis Antetokounmpo is doing right now, like you should probably check out a Bucks game. Because in my opinion, right now, he has taken the torch from LeBron James and is now the best player in the NBA. I mean, LeBron's not really trying. It's true. So it's tough to compare the two. Anthony Davis... Hasn't really he's right there. been healthy. Giannis sure. is just kicking ass right now. Yeah, I mean, he still doesn't have a reliable three-point shot, but yeah, he's, I mean... It, we he doesn't saw, need it, we saw he can it. get to wherever he wants, whenever he wants. That's the thing. We saw against the Warriors, and again, no Draymond, but he just said, yeah, I'm getting to the rim whenever. And the only other player in the league that does that on a consistent level is LeBron James. If I was the Raptors, and as of right now, things can change. Like, this isn't our defi- or my definitive take. won't speak for you. But as of right now, if the playoffs started tomorrow, and I normally hate when people do that because it's very cliche, I would say that the Bucks would be my dead last pick and who I wanted to face because they've got a bunch of good talent. They're really deep. They remind me of the Raptors a little bit where they have all these interchangeable parts. They've got uh, Brooke Lopez acting as their JV, a lesser JV. They've got Chris Middleton doing a lot of really good things, playing great defense, shooting threes, working as a secondary scorer. Bledsoe has reemerged as the player we thought he could be. They've got reliable dudes like Malcolm Brogdon is in there. And all of a sudden, DiVincenzo is a rookie that's not afraid to take a big shot or stretch the floor a little bit. They are deep. And I think what we're learning about where the NBA is going is that having multiple guys and not just being restricted to what I think the Sixers have right now, just a couple of guys, it's really valuable to have those depth pieces and very important to have those depth pieces that know their role and can come in and execute them effectively. And so when we're talking about the Sixers, this is what I thought of their side of the trade. Have to do it. A million times out of a million, you get a star player for replaceable guys. You got to do it. You struck out in free agency. It's a totally fine trade. They're never going to look back on this and with regret, even if he doesn't resign, which by all accounts so far, Jimmy Butler is saying that they're going to work for a long-term deal. If you're the Sixers... Off the court, I think that Embiid and Butler work out a lot better. Like, he's not Andrew Wiggins. He's not Carl Anthony Towns. He's an alpha in his own right, and he's a jokester. And I think that his personality as someone who's comfortable in his own skin is going to mesh well or better with a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's a little bit more old school and temperamental. And that's not my concern. They're built well. They've got veteran players that are well-respected, like J.J. Redick in that locker room. I think from that standpoint, I'm not worried about the Sixers. I do wonder about the on-court fit, because... Here you have Jimmy Butler, who needs the ball to be effective, playing with Ben Simmons, who, frankly, is not ready to play off the basketball as a shooter yet. And same goes for Markel Fultz. So now, like, you have three guys, two of which are not reliable shooters whatsoever, playing off the basketball in some sets. 
you're forcing, I think, Joel Embiid out of the paint and being more of a stretch five. Like, I am curious to see what Brett Brown draws up for Ben Simmons or Markel Fultz when they're playing with Jimmy Butler and what they're asked to do because this feels like, one, they're punting on Markel Fultz and they're just going to be making him available in the offseason to free up another max contract slot to maybe convince someone like a Chris Middleton to come join them. But two is, I hope this doesn't end up being like it was for them as it ended up being in Minnesota where you delayed the development of one of your future stars in Ben Simmons. A lot to unpack there. You mentioned the shooting. From their roster last year that ended the season, they've lost Ilyasova. Mm-hmm. They've lost Bellinelli. They've now lost Covington and Sarich. So they had six guys who could hit three-pointers. They have two of them back from that roster. J.J. Redick, obviously, and Joel Embiid, their center. They've lost a ton of shooting from a year ago. Jimmy Butler can hit threes, but there will be no spacing. The other thing they lost is depth. This is the roster. Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Fultz, Redick. And then it gets scary. Amir Johnson, TJ McConnell, Wilson Chandler, Landry Shamit, Mike Muscala, who, let's not forget, his father was tweeting some racially insensitive at best things. Mike Muscala's dad was? Yes. Where, I didn't see where, that. where were you? Yeah. Didn't see it. About Jimmy Butler. So there's that. What'd he say? Zaire Smith, Jonah Bolden. The roster is a mess. Here's the real reason why I don't like the deal. And I disagree that they, they had to make the deal. They, Wait, you don't disagree that they had to make the deal? I disagree that they had to make this deal. I don't think they had to make it. I wouldn't have made it, to be quite honest. They basically said, this is it. We're all in. You mentioned it. Free agency early. We're doing it now. The process is we, over. We, we, the process is here. Exactly. Yeah. So you were in the wilderness for so long. You shut down Embiid. You shut down Simmons. You stashed Sarich in Europe. You traded for faults. You did all of that. You basically had a roster of D-League guys for a while. You had the whole... You know, buy a beer or get a free ticket scenario. Your franchise was in the wilderness for so long, but the the thought was, listen, thou shall overcome. This is ugly, but our peak is going to be super high. We are going to be a dynasty for years. Literally, trust the process. Be patient. But you don't think you can win with those three guys? Win what? A championship. Win when? Right now? No, maybe the next. I think that their timeline now is three seasons. Four seasons. Neither of us think that they're going to make the Eastern Conference But don't finals. you think that, so last year the Sixers had, remember when all the veteran buyouts happened? Two of those guys that you mentioned, Bellinelli and Irsan Eliasovia, chose to play on the Sixers because they thought, this team's going to go deep, and you know what, I'd like to be here and I'll sign on for a veteran minimum. Sure. I think that the Sixers have that advantage again. That if you look at their team and you're someone who gets bought out, or say Kyle Korver becomes available, and I don't think he all of a sudden transforms him into a title contender on his own, but all of a sudden he's available and he's saying, where am I going to go? Where am I going to have a role? Oh, the Sixers need shooting. I'll go there. Like whoever those veteran buyout guys are going to be this year. And I think Corver could be one of them if he doesn't get traded, that they would look at the Sixers still in the same way where I'll round out the depth with that cheap talent. And that the scary thing for them is, again, they can find a partner for faults and get a little money off the books. They can very easily maneuver them into a spot where they have another max contract slot. So technically who's, who's faults. Well, I mean, if you're Kemba Walker, why would much you... money? Number one and two, who wants Markel Fultz? Well, now? absolutely, some team would want Markel Fultz, like for, you, for them taking on another salary from you. You don't think that no Markel good. Fultz has no t- trade value? Like no team would even want him on the roster? Very little. Oh, come on, man! He has no good tape in the NBA, and he's going to have less now because yeah. they're no longer in a sure, state but, of development. They're sure, saying, but he this doesn't is have zero value. What? Like Tyson Chandler just got bought out, and the the Lakers signed him. Like you're telling me that. 
The team isn't going to take Markel Fultz like the magic. Mario Hazonia got bought out and the Knicks grabbed him. Like, of course, there's value for Markel Fultz. Like, that's silly. No, no. A trade and a buyout are two different things. No, but you're not buying out Markel Fultz. He's still. So then why are you bringing out buyouts? We're talking about trades. No, I'm saying. For someone to have value, I need to give something up of consequence. No, you don't. That's what I'm saying. They just need to get rid of contracts and they're going to say to you, listen, you want Markel Fultz? He's available for really nothing. Like, you can basically have this player essentially for free because we think we can sign Kemba Walker. So then why not put him in the Butler deal? Because I think he still has a lot more value. No. They don't want to give up on him. He's still the first overall pick from a year ago. You don't just bail on that a year in. Well, first of all, it's been reported that the Timberwolves did not want Markel Fultz. So that's That's part of the reason why he wasn't in the deal. That's crazy. But either you're thinking that the Sixers still value him. I do. Or he has value for others. He does. And the... Sixers' value of him is the actual money off of the books. If, say, Kemba Walker hits free agency, they re-sign Jimmy Butler, they could do a deal where they said, we are not continuing with Markel Fultz, we're going to free up his money. They could find a trade partner for him. They could finagle some salary pretty simply by moving off of a contract and a Markel Fultz and freeing up a max slot. So they could say to a Kemba Walker, hey, man, we can pay you a ton of money, and you can also be the fourth guy on a team with these pieces. And I think that could be attractive to them. I'm saying that's the most danger for the Sixers is that to the Raptors this year, I don't think that the Sixers are going to be able to knock them off. I think it would take a stupendous performance by their star players to carry them past the Raptors depth because Toronto has that star player. Now they have the pecking order with Kawhi at the top with Kyle Lowry, number two with Pascal Siakam emerging as a great number three, this resurgence of Serge Ibaka, like they have so much right now. And then the Raptors, as you mentioned, they have, they're guys that are 5 through 12, so much better than what the Sixers have 5 through 12. So I just don't view them yet as a threat to this season, the Toronto Raptors. What so I find interesting... That the trade doesn't make any sense. No, it does make sense because now you have a star player. Like, anytime you can acquire a star, you do it, especially for this cheap trade. prices. And if you're the Sixers, why it scares me if I'm a Raptors fan is this. The Sixers can enter the next offseason with that max slot. They can offer a Kemba Walker. They can sign Jimmy Butler. And if I'm Kawhi Leonard and I'm looking at the NBA landscape and I'm saying to myself, okay, where do I want to be? Toronto has a lot to offer me. They've got a great supporting cast full of some really young, interesting players like Siakam, like OG Ananobi, who by the day are growing and look better by the minute. But I have two guys here that are Serge Ibaka and Kyle Lowry that are integral to things moving forward. And they're in their early to mid thirties. And I don't know how long those guys are going to have staying power at this level. Now, if I'm looking around the Eastern Conference, what I see is four of the best five teams in the NBA are in the East moving forward. I think that the Raptors, Bucks, Sixers, and Celtics are the four next teams that slot in after the Warriors. The Rockets are falling apart, and Chris Paul is only getting older, and it's going to be more difficult with their contracts to build a sustainable winner around them. LeBron James doesn't look like he's recruiting any type of massive star to the Lakers all of a sudden. Like There seems to be a bit of a discrepancy in terms of what he thought he could build in LA versus what is actually going to be built in LA. The Clippers are all of a sudden looking like a pretty attractive destination. If I'm Kawhi Leonard saying, okay, they do have a bunch of younger guys around them. Montrez Harrell's taking a step forward. Shea Gilgis Alexander. I can have a couple of those benefits, but I can also sign there and be in the West where things are going to be easier, especially if the Warriors break up, like all of a sudden the Eastern conference feels very, very top heavy. And that if you're going to make the finals in the East, you're going to have to go through some combination of the Raptors, Bucks, Celtics, and Sixers. And like, that's daunting. Whereas in the West, it's like, 
You just got to get through the Warriors. No. First of all, you, in the West, you just have to make the playoffs because teams 10, 11, 12 in the West are still very good. Sure. The trade doesn't make sense for right now because they're not going to, one, they're not going to make the finals right now. Two, even if they did, they would get swept in four games. And that's the whole point. They were ahead of schedule last year. And for some reason, they have now rushed the process and said, we got to win right now. Why? How often do star players become available like this? No, no, that's not the point. Like they blew they it They have Kawhi. star players that are young. And but that wasn't enough. They're wi- it's not enough right now, but they're not winning right now with Jimmy Butler. Mm. You're not beating the Warriors this year. And if Katie decides I'm going to play one year and chase, you're not beating them next year. Even if Katie leaves and they just have Draymond and Clay, you're still not beating them. You don't think a so- Sixers team with those four guys that I mentioned, like if they did get a Kembo or Chris Middleton signed on there on that extra max slot, that you have Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton slash Kembo Walker, Plus, those two young guys no. can't win a title next year? First of all, I don't think they could get Kemba because he plays the same position as Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is Yeah, a but point he can guard. be a two. He can go be a two. Why can't he play the J.J. Redick role? Kemba Walker has played with the ball in his hands his entire life. So He's a shooter, though. He, like, that's, you're going to give someone max money and say go play another position? Well, yeah, because he can easily be a two guard. I disagree. But regardless, Embiid is coming up. You're going to have to give him money. And this is the big thing. You're giving Jimmy Butler... Max mm-hmm. money. You're going to give him 190 next year. He's going to want five years. You're giving a player money who we acknowledge is not getting better moving forward. He struggled to stay healthy. Mind you, he's played for Tibbs for most of his NBA life. But the best of Jimmy Butler is right now. Mm. The best of Embiid, the best of Simmons, and hopefully the best of Fultz, is three, four, five, six years from now. See, I this don't is think like that's taking the, case with the young Thunder who made the finals and say, ah, oh, we're just going to throw some ready-made talent rather than just letting them cook. And when they're 27, 28, 29, then all of a sudden they're the warriors. Then if you want to add a piece to finish it, sure. But doing it now and tying up max money with Jimmy Butler for the next five years, when you don't know if he's going to be a fit, but you have these slots. Now you're not going to have but, those slots when Joel even hits him, free agency and when he, Ben Simmons does, but you're not winning with him right now. So, so what you're doing is you're tying up, future money because every year he's making more money. What I'm saying though is for them to get another star or them to get any other stars, this is the window. This is why this offseason was so important for the Sixers because they're not going to have these windows to sign those free agents two years from now but, when they have to pay Embiid and when they have to pay Simmons. And I don't think that the window for the Sixers is that long because Embiid has had a lot of lower body injuries and he's a 24-year-old seven-footer and that he could be gone in the blink of an eye. And that you have to capitalize on these years. And if a star player becomes available and it's Robert Covington and Dario Saric, like, is there a better threesome of defensive players right now than Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons? Like, that's pretty daunting. On any given night, you can throw those three guys out there. Those guys all can get you a bucket in isolation. Those guys can all shut you down defensively. Like, I think you're underselling how good they can be and the appeal of going to Philadelphia and being the fourth guy with them, especially if you're going to be an ancillary shooter. You can make an argument they have the best starting five in the NBA. They actually, from a plus-minus perspective, they had the best starting five in the NBA last year. They just added Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. to the crew. But we've just said, in a seven-game series, not beating the Raptors, I don't know if they beat the Celtics. I think the Celtics ceiling, I don't think so either. if they're playing well, which they haven't played well, so who knows, but assuming they play well, I think the Celtics ceiling is higher than theirs. And like Giannis could win a playoff series by himself. My point is, you're making it more difficult to win at a high level when it's actually more realistic that you're going to win at a high level. The other thing is, sure, if you want to swing for the fences, you got to do it. Understand, 
then Jimmy Butler's not the guy. For well, me, what else are we going to do? Who else was available? Bradley Beal would have been the guy. Someone I, I, who I actually, don't think Beal is available, man. Well, I, then wait till and, and they're Ernie not, Grunfield gets fired. And the and other part of it is they're not getting a deal done for Robert Covington and Dario Saric and acquiring Bradley Beal. Like, you don't have the assets to get Bradley Beal unless you're starting to dip into Simmons or Embiid and that defeats the purpose. Like, the unique thing about this to me is, like, we should be able to appreciate it as Raptors fans that it's similar to the Kawhi price. As much as you love DeMar DeRozan, you have to do it for one year of Kawhi Leonard with this team because you're changing the championship level of your season. Like, to me, the Butler deal is not just this year. It also is next year and the year after that. That it's basically, to me, a real three-year window where you're still going to have elite Jimmy Butler. You're still going to have potentially a max contract slot. And you're saying, listen, this is what the process was for. Like, we got these guys to this spot. We got these two stars. We might have something in faults. Who knows? We'll see how it plays out. But ultimately, we're shooting our shot. Do you agree with what I said, though, about... So I, I'm with you on, to me right now, the Sixers are still, out of all the teams in the top four in the East, they're the clear number four. After them, there's a significant drop-off for me. Like, I'm not fearing the Pistons at all. Like, I don't sweat any other team in the NBA, in the Eastern Conference for the Raptors. But from the standpoint of Kawhi Leonard, do you think that this would affect him, the way that he's viewing things, considering how top-heavy the Eastern Conference is right now? No. So Okay, so you don't think that he looks at this and says, damn, I don't want to play Jimmy Butler in the Sixers a bunch of games all season. I don't want to have to play Giannis, and I don't want to have to play Jason Tatum. No, he's played in the West his entire career. Like, that's I, good no, point. I just don't think that that's going to scare him. The, the other issue is Jimmy Butler blew up a locker room in Chicago, didn't get along with the young guys, mm-hmm. clearly blew up a locker room in Minnesota, didn't get along with the young guys. The first test that Joel Embiid made when he saw the, the trade. He grabbed his phone. First person he texted, Andrew Wiggins. His friend and roommate in college, guy who up until recently, they were both Adidas athletes. That's one of his good friends in basketball. So automatically, I'm not his, worried about his opinion... Yet. Really? No, I'm not. I if got... I'm the Sixers, my sole responsibility is make sure Joel Embiid signs that contract and is here for another five years. Yeah, That's but he it. will. Okay. Yeah, he, he will. Joel Embiid loves being the process. He loves being in Philadelphia. He still views this as his team, and I think most people do. When you think about the Sixers, you still think Embiid. But wh- He's but still the defensive what, anchor of their group. But what makes you think that they're going to get along, given Butler's track record? But I also, think that they have Butler better wanted, personalities to fit in with one another. Butler like, wanted to be the man on a team. Yeah. That's not going to happen in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's still going to be the process's team. Although his game is very Philly tough, he's not going to be the guy who's on promotional material. That's Joel Embiid. And if he yells at Joel Embiid for eating a burger pregame while he gets taped, Joel Embiid, although he may not cry you know about it like Towns, he's not going to like it. Dude, even if it doesn't work out, it really cost you Robert Covington because Sarge didn't really fit on this team. Like, it cost you a good 3 and D guy that you found in the G League to take a shot at potentially changing the ceiling of your franchise. Like, I, I just think that in across all pro sports, this is kind of what you have to do. And, like, I, I don't think that this overly affects the Raptors, but I think that... There are some tones of it's going to be more difficult for you to make the finals. And if I was looking at it as a free agent, I would say I'd rather be in the West right now than in the Eastern Conference. Dwayne Casey is returning this week. There's a Kyle Lowry article about him. I want to share some thoughts about Dwayne Casey, what we think the fallout has been so far for the the Raptors head coach and whether we think things will be differently. But first, one more quick break. Pascal Siakam using his speed. Here comes Lowry, the all-star. Got to the paint, dumps it off to Pascal Siakam. Abaka claims a rebound there. In the other way, Siakam with a slam dunk. 
Pretty play by Pascal Siakam. 8.50 to go second quarter. Near corner in front of us. Siakam got a step on Bagley. Under the 10, layup up and in. Plus the foul and a three-point opportunity for Siakam, who continues to get better and more confident with every game that passes. So we just spent 30 minutes talking about the, the Jimmy Butler trade and how it affects the Sixers and the Timberwolves and Tom Thibodeau and all these different players around the NBA, maybe even Kawhi Leonard, although I, I think Kawhi probably thinks about that stuff. I think that guys in the league text each other and see what's going on. But Pascal Siakam wins Player of the Week, which our producer Emil Delich said four years ago is the last time a non-Demar slash Kyle player ended up getting that honor. And it was... Give people a second to guess listening to the podcast. If you said Lou Williams, you are correct. It was Lou Williams. That was a fun season, Lou. This was a six man. It ended horribly because he was in the playoffs and he couldn't defend anybody. <laughs> the shot dried up a little bit and all of a sudden Lou Will was left town with nothing. I think he signed that Lakers contract. It was like, what, like four million a year or something terrible like that? He did not get paid. And Drake wrote that song. But for a hot minute... Lou Williams step backs from touching the logo at the end of games. Lou will drawing fouls with that crossover. Those are good times. Two girls and they get along oh, yeah. like, a, like a Lou will is, is one of the best Drake lyrics I'll, of all time. I'll never forget him being at a blue Jays game with the two girls sitting up front and just looking at it and being completely enamored by him. What a life. If you were going to pick an NBA player uh, whose memoirs you would like to read or for you, write them. Some NBA player comes up to you right now. Current and says, Donovan Bennett, I would like it if you wrote my memoirs. Tell me Lou Williams isn't high on the list. He's not in the top five. Um, I mean, I haven't thought about it, but yeah. He, I mean, I would just say LeBron James would be one, but sure. Did you hear that? thing is, LeBron would only, he's like a politician. He'd only give you the, the parts he wanted out there. Like if Lou Will was coming to you, I feel like you'd get the true story. Did you ever hear that story about him in uh, Atlanta when he was a hawk and how that guy held him up? Oh, <laughs> and yeah. And then he found and out he was Lou Williams and yeah. then, he brought him and ate, fed him uh, a, a meal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like they they wrapped it out and talked about why he's doing this. That's, Lou, res- that's respect. That is respect. So shout out Lou Will. Uh, shout out Pascal Siakam for the Player of the Week award. I mentioned last time actually on the podcast before we get to the Casey stuff about how I really want to see Kawhi Leonard and how he phases in his game with Pascal Siakam and him working together. And then right after the podcast, Kawhi was talking about how Kyle Lowry is carrying the load right now, and then the game against the Knicks. He really did seem to be dishing it a lot more and empowering Pascal Siakam. And that was actually, it was a really ugly game to start, but it was one of the more Kawhi dishing off to other guys and giving them an opportunity games that we've seen so far. So that was a nice sign. But yeah, good for Pascal, who continues to be, I think now he is the, Bill Simmons calls them the underrated, he's overrated guy. And he's kind of trending into that territory where like so many people are talking about Siakam and I'm hearing like people say multiple all-star games for him. And I'm like, oh, all right, like let's chill out. Let's just see what happens. I mean, it, it, listen, it's crazy the, how quick the ascension has been. I mean, it this is, is a guy who eight years ago wasn't playing basketball. Now he's, you know, dominating basketball games. I do believe though, that there's going to be a reversion to the mean because it's just so evident that nobody is reading scouting reports on him. Like, he continues to drive to the basket right, spin and finish left over and over, like literally possessions in a row. And like nobody is actually The Knicks rotating. read the scouting report and they gapped him and they let him shoot threes and he knocked down three of them, Yeah, which well, was awesome. I'll live with that if I'm, uh, if I'm a defense. For sure. But how many texts did you get from friends during that game uh, that were somewhat like this? Wow. If he can just do that, 
He can. Is it something along those lines? You didn't get any of those? Zero. Oh, I got a few. I think I might have even tried to text him in the group. Although, I think I had like five or six texts that were unresponded to in the group, which was kind of insulting to me. That hurt my feelings a little bit. I was at the Yates Cup. By the way, sneaky thing. Saw that Instagram photo that you posted? Very stunting on the gram by you. Having a mural? You have a mural? I was talking to you the other day. You were in last Friday. You were in last Friday on Good Show for your weekly segment. For anybody that wants to listen to that, it's always good. And you were telling me about how at Western you were like the change of pace back. And I was like, okay, sure. sure. Change of pace backs don't get a mural. You must have been like Warren Dunn, TJ Duckett. Like you mean Warwick Dunn? Warwick Dunn. Who's That's Warren? Was uh, uncle? Warren G, uh, different than Warwick Dunn. But Regulators yeah, you had to be up. legit to get that mural. That was a big mural. I'm just photogenic. They had a good photo. Dude, so you are so humble. So if you're from Western and you see that Donovan Bennett mural, like what a lucky, lucky school you are to have had this obviously generational running back in your midst. Generational <laughs> running back duo. So good job by you having a mural. Very be, fancy. Be, sh- be sure to watch the Mitchell Bowl and the UTech Bowl. This week on Sportsnet 360. And can you Panny watch it on SN now? Next week on 360. And yes, you can watch it on SN now. Okay, so that's good. So Casey's coming back to town. Any quick thoughts on Casey before we do love and hate? Uh, I'm glad that he got a job so quickly. He's done well in that job. He has the Pistons in a playoff position, which is not where he found them. And Nick Nurse has been unflappable. No one can or would criticize the job that he's done. But to say that their team is that much better because Casey's not here. It's tough to say. I mean, I don't think we would see. Does anyone have the that shuttling? Take? Yeah, a little bit. I don't. I don't think we would see the shuttling of the centers, which has been a revelation offensively for both. But I mean, they did add Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, who have been two of yeah. their their better players. Okay, the shuttling thing is interesting to me, or the splitting of JV and Surge, and the credit that Nick Nurse gets there. Because, one, Nick Nurse was a part of the staff, and you could say that he got maybe behind the scenes, Dwayne Casey pulled the Hugh Jackson, where he's like, if you're one, you're my seat, you can do your plays, and until I've been where you are, and for now, just shut it. But they also had Jakob Pertl. Yeah. And he was a part of one of the most effective lineups in all of basketball. So splitting Jonas and Serge was not as simple with last year's roster. Like, it was a lot easier to do it this year when you didn't have a true backup center. Like, they went out and signed Greg Monroe because they needed another guy on the roster, just a filler. So it was a lot easier to say, listen, we're going to split you guys up, but JV, you're going to essentially be the go-to guy in the second unit. And Serge, you're going to start, and we're going to empower you in a different way close to the basket. I would say that's the part where I have a little bit of difficulty looking back on Casey, is that knowing what we know about Serge Ibaka and the way that he plays and the way that he can be so frustrating when he's off the basketball, that, yeah, there's probably a health component to this, but it really does feel like Nick Nurse has figured out that the best way to utilize Serge Ibaka is as a five offensively because we always talked about it from a defensive perspective, right? Like Serge at the five fits more than JV. JV Mm -hmm. can't defend in the pick and rolls and put Serge in that role, but we never really talked about the offensive implication of what it would be like taking Serge off the wing and putting him more in pick and roll sets and having him catch the basketball closer to the cup and what that would look like. And so far, Nurse has empowered Ibaka in that regard and it's worked out really well. And I would say that If the Raptors do have championship aspirations, if we ever are going to entertain the idea that this team could somehow potentially beat the Golden State Warriors, they're going to need the Serge Ibaka that we've seen from the beginning of the season. Like, they're going to need Mufuzi in full effect. Mufuzi's chef. Like, they're going to need him to not necessarily be breaking Wilt Chamberlain records for for consecutive field goals, but they're going to need him to be 
engaged on both ends of the floor, finishing close to the cup, being a reliable passer, looking out to the three-point line and not being desperate to search for his own shot or search for his own offense, but have a system where it's coming to him. So that's my only criticism really of Casey or how I think things would be done differently right now. But it does feel good that he did land somewhere else and that he is with a Pistons team that I think he has them a, a little bit ahead of schedule. Like a lot of credit goes to Blake Griffin for continuing to reinvent his game and be so good. But I don't think that they're as good with another coach like Dwayne Casey, probably a little bit underrated as a guy who won coach of the year. Agreed. I mean, we talk about name brand coaches, Stan Van Gundy, because of his last name was a name brand coach and the Pistons look appreciably better. With- I said, have you seen their final game? They're like, late game plays. They've blown a couple games because they look like old rafters. I don't miss that where it's like, wait, dribble the air out of the basketball, like five seconds left, run into the lane, shoot a contested shot. I'm like, all right. Well, that just sounds like Reggie Jackson. It, it It's part Reggie Jackson, but I think part Dwayne Casey. But anyways, I think that the Raptors made the, the correct call here. It's going to be nice to have Dwayne Casey back in Toronto. I don't think there's any ill will. I just think that when we're looking back on it, that this decision was probably necessary and that the Raptors did not make a mistake. All right, love, hate. You got a love? I mean, I got a lot of loves, but... uh, Hit me. I'll give you two quickly. Love the uh, OVO City uniforms with the white on gold. Mm -hmm. Also love the fact, when we're talking about gear, that Adam Silver has decided, smartly, because he didn't want to be roasted on Twitter, that he's allowing uh, NBA players to wear the enough t-shirts in reference to uh to gun violence yeah there's a pretty good precedent there in terms of guys not getting fined for being vocal with their attire the ovo thing is a little interesting to me because you don't like the whites so i think they're fine i think that they look clean they're crisp i love the skyline on the shorts i think that's a really sharp look and how they blended in the, the maple leaves into the background i think all that's good and I am probably more pro Drake than a lot of people. I, I think that the the partnership with the Raptors has been a success. And I think that the donation for local courts has been good. And I think overall Drake has been great for the image of the franchise. That said, I do wonder, like it's a city uniform, right? It's the city and other teams, the way that they express themselves through the uniform, I think is more widespread than what Toronto has done in a certain way. Like I thought it was cool that the Timberwolves did a little nod to Prince with the purple because he was such a big Wolves fan, he just passed away. So there's like some... The Brooklyn Nets with the biggie Coogee sweaters? Yeah, like some guys, they've done it with artists. But I just do, I do wonder, like, at what point do they hand the keys kind of back to the the city of Toronto well, and the country of Canada? Like, I think I'll, that I'll a red, white would point. have been... At one point when the highest selling merchandise at Real Sports is not the OVO okay. attire, because it sure. is... I would have liked to see some red and white, like some something a little what different. You mean, like the way that normal the Blue Jays do it on, on. No, I mean like I would have liked to see something like a more of a hat tip to Canada than something for Drake no, at this point. That's like the how point. many more Their years of Drake actual uniform get? is no yeah. longer purple; it's red and white. Like everything is yeah. red and white. So the fourth jersey is supposed to be a departure from that. The hat tip to Canada is every night when the uniform is red and white. Like I, how many red Raptors have I'd you like seen to, in I your just, life? I would like to see something that is more it, more geared towards red? the city than, no, no, no. I'm just saying, or something that was more geared to away from Drake at this point. Like but, I just, but, I, I don't like wearing the Drake uniforms anymore. I, to me, that's over. You, okay. At JD Bunkus. Yeah, that's okay. You it, can at me. I'm not saying Drake's think, a problem. It's fine. The, I don't care. It's a city uniform, but I just, I, I like the city is more than Drake. I think you're taking the term city. Like, I am. To specific you mr mvp chance calling me out for being too no, literal no, no, no. specific nike came in yeah. and they want to do something different yeah, they want to sell jerseys they want to sell. of course they do but besides that they wanted to get away from this 
moniker of home in a way. So they went mm-hmm. with the statement jersey, the icon jersey, and they called one the city jersey. I know. For someone to embrace their city. But the Raptors already had an OVO jersey. I know. They weren't going to get rid of fine. it. So the fact that the OVO jersey is slotted in the city section, like you're looking at Bro, the word city too I, literally. I am. I, I just think that. When so people what, say you Toronto, want, like Norm with a thumbs up on the front of the jersey. That's literally like, the last thing I think of when Toronto. That's the black eye of our city. <laughs> Norm Kelly. God, thank so, God he's done. So like, you, he's want, done. you want a Ford N- Nation he's jersey? He's done. Oof, that'd be tough too. <laughs> There's really no defending those two things. It's really difficult when you look at you know say other countries' politics or other places' politics. And not to get political here, but then we have you know Ford and we had Norm Kelly. But anyways, that's the last thing I'm going to say on those things. Uh, my love is OG with the second unit. I actually think right now OG fits better with the starters than Pascal Siakam does just from the offensive standpoint. Like I think his game is more conducive right now to being off the ball because he can knock down a three-point shot. He's a great cutter. He's really smart. He knows his role. He doesn't need to touch the basketball. But I think that we kind of got in this phase where we were looking at OG as as something something more rigid offensively, something that we kind of just gave up on the idea that he was more of a dribble attack guy or what he could do so far on the floor. And in the last couple of games, watching him play with the second unit and be more empowered has been super, super encouraging for the OG and an OB stands camp, because I don't care. You can like Pascal or OG more than whoever. And you can have the debate as to who is the better future player on the Raptors. Like those are fine debates to have, but it's so great. They have both guys. And OG, as a guy who is hunting his own shot, like in that Knicks game when he got Kevin Knox on him and he just decided he was going to take him to the rack a few times in a row, I was so excited watching those things. And I love seeing OG empowered. My hate is a minor nitpick, but it came from against the Jazz game when they were getting eaten alive by Rudy Gobert. And they just needed a big guy that could give them some defense and fouls. And Monroe's not that guy. And it was kind of just a redundancy to go get Greg Monroe in free agency. It's just very difficult for me to see how he's ever going to have an impact on this team. And it just would have made so much more sense to go out and get a guy that could hold his position and, and maybe get you the odd stop or make it difficult for the odd big man that comes to town, like to be as matchup diverse as possible. Am I being too nitpicky with that? I mean, yeah, I think Monroe is a break glass in case of emergency. If one of your centers is hurt, but that's what happened though, is that in that game, they had some guys get into foul trouble and they had to go to the deep bench and they went to him, and I was looking at him, and he just doesn't, he can't get a stop. What third center in the NBA can get a stop? Bebe. I would have preferred Lucas Nogueira. I'm, just, really? I'm dead serious. You hated Lucas Nogueira. I know, but I, I like him. I like the skill set he brings more than the skill set uh, Greg Monroe has. And okay. meanwhile, I mean, meanwhile, I, listen, I, lo- I love Baby, but get, you know who does not agree with you? Uh, the whole rest of the NBA. The that's entire NBA. Because, yeah. so, <laughs> dude, once you start to rack up a certain amount of face tattoos, I feel like it's really hard to defend you. Like, is that a fair assessment? You're not a fan of of Wheezy, F Baby, of Lil Wayne. I was a fan of Wheezy in like 2006, but I feel like we've moved on. Um, and I did like him uh, getting Odell Beckham Jr. in trouble. I thought that was pretty funny. But no, I think, okay, let's put it this way. If you had a daughter, what's the over-under on face tattoos you would want uh, the guy she comes home with? I would say zero. zero. <laughs> but that like... Yeah. Even I mean, if you I'm played not in the a, NBA, I'm though, not a, be like... Oh, I'm so. not a tattoo p- person. Sure, period. but I think that it's, there's a very big difference in having a tattoo anywhere on your body other than your face. Oh, or well, neck. Yeah, of course. Like, the, my favorite still ever is James Johnson with his son's name, Naaman. And people are like, oh, it's his son's name. It's so nice. I'm like, it's still a huge neck tattoo. Like, there's no, only so much sweetening up of a giant neck tattoo that you can have. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I'm different. I, I always think about what life 
will be like when I'm old. Yeah. And there are zero percent of tattoos that look good on old people. In like defense that, of that, like that, that what war old person eagle looks that good you got, anyway. it looks like a wrinkly dove yeah, when you're 73. When, like when you're 73, though, is like everything else changes anyways. Like what are you going to look like with that's fashionable? So why, or, so why are you making it worse? <laughs> why are you making it worse with a faded rainbow on on your hip i don't know i think tattoos are cool our generations can be messed up because we were gonna in like well f- there's too many face tattoo guys right now going like no, you see it, t- no, like six nine period. And- in 40 years we're gonna be a generation of all of these like ugly dirty glass condos all <sighs> over the place where people are like what was going on there's gonna be like 73 year old People walking around with like, why do you have hope on your wrist? Like, what's going Bro, on? You're already going. An old man yells at the sky. Takes. Huh? I, I I am. You're there. I just think we don't. I just you're like. There. I just want to watch the Bachelor on Saturday nights in peace and no. not have to see these kids with face tattoos. We're just a culture who think only thinks of right now. Mm. We don't think of the long term. And it's it, it to me, it's just gonna be funny that people are gonna have like, oh, this Tibetan character meant a lot to me, and yeah, I put on my foot when I was seventeen. So my sister has a lot of tattoos. Yeah. And at first, when she first started getting them, I was like really judgy. I was like, why are you getting tattoos? Don't do that. Because we got this Eastern European background and like uh, my grandmother and grandfather on that side were like, if you ever got a tattoo, like we'll disown you basically. Like that type of family situation going on. And the more she kind of like showed me the tattoos she's gotten and some of them are like silly and I'm like, oh, why'd you get that one? But she does have some really cool ones that are meaningful. And I don't know. I just, I think that if people feel strongly about the tattoo... And, or they just like getting the ink. I think it's fine. I think it's a cool thing. I just think face tattoo is like, you just, you can't hide the face tattoo. And everywhere you go is just like, you're the face tattoo person. And it's like, you can't be like, what are you looking at, man? Like your face tattoo, you got a tattoo on your face. So I'm looking at it and that's exactly why you got it. So let's not have this confrontation. Right. But when you're older, everywhere you go, you're going to be the person with a musical symbol on your calf. So what? That's okay. I think that shows like, hey, guess what? Little reminder of when you were young or that moment in your life. I think that's badass. I think that's cool. <laughs> so you, you, like at that point, you don't even remember why you got it. Yeah, exactly. But it's a little sliver of the old you. Um, we're going to run. We'll be back next week after Casey comes to town. We'll share more of Donovan Bennett's personal life with you. That's good. <laughs> I'm just going to have a corner where I just share your life. And then soon Emil Delich's personal life. He doesn't want to share it. Our producer. But I'm going to get it out of him. I'm going to get a little bit out of him. I'm always curious what Emil's doing, too. He's such a busy guy. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening. As you know, please leave a five-star review. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please share the tweet. I appreciate it when you do it. Uh, So does Donovan, even if I don't think he ever reads the reviews. Uh, This is Free Association on Sportsnet.ca.